there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands Still. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Something to note. This episode focuses on cultural beliefs in magical elves and dwarves, specifically those detailed in traditional Norse mythology. We are aware that dwarves and dwarfism can refer to a real medical or genetic condition. But in this episode, all mentions of dwarves are exclusively in reference to the attributes, characteristics, and depictions of beings in mythical tales. We hope you enjoy. Before the earth was home to man, all that existed was a pulsating void. Within this abyss lived a formless omnipresence known as Fimbultur. For a time, the spirit of Fimbultur roamed the universe alone. But then, the cold rivers from the primordial realm of Niflheim clashed with the flames of another world, known as Muspelheim, and the one called Umir was born. Umir was a giant, fueled by the energy of discord. Before long, his unruly nature led to chaos. In an effort to establish order in the universe, Fimbultur sentenced Umir to death. It was then that the divine trinity of gods was born, the mighty brothers Odin, Vili, and Ve. Immediately, they were enlisted to kill the giant and bring harmony to the cosmos. Odin and his brothers successfully struck down Umir, and from the giant's flesh, the brothers made the earth. From his flowing blood, they made the seas. His bones became rocks and his hair became trees. From his skull and eyebrows, the gods made the heavenly realm of Asgard and the realm of humans, Midgard. But they made other worlds besides these, mysterious worlds full of both light and dark, good and evil. And out of these worlds grew not gods or men, but new species entirely. They were the Swatalfar, the Dakalfar, and the Osalfar, fairies, the free folk, elves and dwarves. The Norse creation story is typically seen as a myth, but some say there's a truth behind every species in the tale, especially elves and dwarves. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. 
But in this podcast, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every week, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. This is our first episode on elves and dwarves, the ancient beings from mythology and lore who have supposedly interacted with humanity since the beginning of time. This week, we'll explore the legends that tell us about these beings, as well as some of the stories of people who claim to have seen them in modern times. We'll take a look at the origin myths in ancient Egypt, the Norse mythologies of the ancient Germanic tribes of Northern Europe, and then explore the legends from Celtic paganism of pre-Christian Ireland. Next week, we'll try to find out if these creatures are simply a figment of our collective imagination, or if elves and dwarves really exist in some parallel dimension. Elves and dwarves have appeared in diverse cultural mythologies spanning thousands of years. Whether the stories are from Africa, Scandinavia, or Ireland, the creatures described share remarkable similarities. For most people, elves and dwarves are the stuff of fairy tales and popular fiction. We might think of the pointy-eared Christmas elves or Snow White's Seven Dwarves, or maybe of the creatures from J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings novels. And although these interpretations are fictional, many cultures throughout the ages strongly believed that elves and dwarves actually existed. And a large population of people still hold those beliefs today. Before we investigate modern perceptions of elves and dwarves, let's retrace the history and learn exactly what ancient cultures believed about these supernatural beings. Our first reference to dwarves and elves comes from as far back as 3150 BCE, when the people of Memphis in ancient Egypt began to worship the creator god Ptah. As we'll soon see, some of the beings described in these stories resemble more modern descriptions of elves and dwarves. Could the ancient Egyptians have had some connection to these creatures that has since been forgotten? In the time before time when nothing existed, an egg was laid by the creator god Ptah. Possessing supernatural magic, Ptah was capable of breathing life into his thoughts by forming them into words. And according to ancient Egyptian mythology, this is how he spoke the universe into existence. Ptah shaped the world and the heavens, but he didn't do it alone. He was assisted by eight workmen called the Kanumu, known as the Modelers. In ancient Egypt, the stories of the gods and their modelers were immortalized through hieroglyphics, reliefs, and statues throughout Egypt. Temples and places of worship depicted the creator god Ptah and his modelers, the Kanumu, as two very distinct types of beings. 
The Kanumu were portrayed with muscular bodies, bent legs, broad heads, and, contrary to Egyptian style, they had long mustaches. As for Ptah, he was shown with green skin and with big, sometimes pointy ears. This is the very first mythological reference to a lower race of stubby, workman-type beings and a higher race of more elegant creatures with pointy ears. Since this information is so ancient, we can't say for certain whether these legends have any truth to them. But what we can say is that the myths of ancient Egypt shaped the Egyptians' understanding of their reality. If there were elves and dwarves documented in the mythologies of ancient Egypt, could these legends have influenced an enduring belief in elves and dwarves that ended up spreading throughout the world? By the 16th century BCE, Egypt had greatly expanded their kingdom. Their stories and beliefs spread throughout Africa and the Mediterranean as they conquered new peoples and made new trade deals. Their stories of Ptah and his modelers found similarities with stories from other countries. There are the Eloko of Congo, a race of beings believed to be dwarfish in size and generally unfriendly towards the Bushmen. They are said to be the spirits of dead ancestors and torment the hunters who roam their territory. In contrast to these evil creatures, there are benevolent creatures found in West African legends. One race of beings, called the Aziza, are the fairies of the forest who offer white magic and spiritual advice to lucky humans. We once again see the image of a lower, dwarfish race contrasted with the image of a higher fairy or elf race. Could this pattern suggest that these creatures were real? that multiple ancient cultures encountered them? We can find more clues to this mystery in the legends that we first hinted at in our teaser, Ancient Norse Mythology. The Germanic people of pre-Christian Europe favored the concept of multiple coexisting realms or parallel dimensions. Germanic peoples refers to the tribes of ancient Scandinavia and Northern Europe. According to their collective beliefs, which we today refer to as Norse mythology, they believed our world, the realm of the humans, coexisted upon an interdimensional reality alongside eight other fully formed realms or worlds. There was our world, Midgard, and the well-known realms of the gods, Asgard and Vanaheim. But there were also two primordial worlds, Niflheim and Muspelheim, as well as the realm where the giants sought refuge, the realm called Jotunheim. And we can't forget Helheim, the land of the dead. These worlds harbored all kinds of magical creatures, but they paled in comparison to the two remaining worlds, Alfheim, the realm of the elves, and Nidalwalir, the realm of the dwarves. According to ancient legends, the realm of the elves Alfheim was a place of immense beauty. Scholar Joshua J. Mark writes that Alfheim was not far from Asgard. Therefore, elves were considered more divine than humans, for their world existed closer to the gods. Elves were thus a sort of demigod, immortals with innate magical powers. They appeared to glow with luminous energy. 
Alfheim was known as the Abode of Souls, where just and good humans could find sanctuary in death. In this way, the ancient idea of the realm of the elves could be compared to the contemporary concept of heaven. However, we should keep in mind that our knowledge of the Norse afterlife is limited. There seems to have been multiple realms where ancient Germanic peoples believed someone could go when they died. One example outside of Alfheim was Valhalla, the Asgardian meat hall where Odin gathered the universe's greatest warriors for the final battle. Nevertheless, Alfheim seems to have been the most glamorous of all these locations. An old poetic verse even refers to the sun as the gleam of the elf world, alluding again to the proximity of our world to theirs. How close is the realm of the elves to our own realm? And how has the relationship between humans and elves evolved over the ages? One story from the Poetic Edda, a collection of various Norse oral traditions from 800 to 1100 CE, illustrates the complicated relationship between mortals from the realm of man and immortals from Alfheim. One day in the ancient forests of northern Europe, a young smith named Vulander and his two brothers, Egil and Slagfader, took a stroll to a nearby lake. Much to their surprise, the brothers encountered several beautiful maidens bathing beside the water. They looked like human women, but the brothers noticed swan skins draped across the rocks nearby. They knew that these women must be fairies or elves, notorious for their ability to shapeshift into animals. Charmed by their beauty and fearful that the maidens would transform back into birds if they didn't act, the brothers took the maidens' feathered skins and hid them so the maidens could not fly away. The swan maidens had no choice but to marry the brothers, and the three couples lived happily together for several years. However, the magical swan maidens eventually desired to return to their swan forms. The women stole back their feathered swan skins, and with their reclaimed wings, they flew away. When the brothers returned home and discovered their wives had fled, Egil and Slogfider immediately went in search of them. Meanwhile, Vulander stayed home to work on his smithing. He trusted that his wife would return to him one day if he was patient. But his skill at smithing became so great that he attracted the attention of an evil king. The malevolent ruler captured Vulander and forced him into his service. According to legend, while Vulander was locked up in the castle, he fashioned himself a pair of wings and flew away to reunite with his swan wife in her mystical world. The legend of the Swan Maidens was one of the first stories linking humanity to the elves. The three brothers' lives are elevated by their connection with these divine beings, and Vulander, in particular, is portrayed as especially enlightened. He essentially ascends to heaven, having metaphorically gained the wisdom of his elven bride by fashioning his own pair of wings. The suggestion that a human could obtain immortality through contact with the elves speaks to the reverence Germanic peoples had for these otherworldly beings. It also might hint at an even more significant development within Norse mythology. 
Voolander was known as the Prince of Elves. Historian Claude Lecatu believes this legend is thus actually an origin story for the Norse god Freyr, known as the Lord of the Elves. If this is true, then elves were even more significant to the Germanic peoples than previously thought. They provided a path not just to immortality, but to godhood. Is it possible that ancient humans ascended to divinity after contact with the elves? We can't say for sure, but we do know that Freyr was a central figure to Norse mythology, and his legends are often intrinsically linked to the elven realm of Alfheim. More than that, he may even have inspired the legends of one of the most famous fairies of all, the Tooth Fairy. Next, we'll explore Freyr's connections to the elves and see if it provides us any clues as to their existence. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, back to the story. Throughout history, ancient mythologies have made reference to stubby, dwarf-like creatures that did the work of the gods and elegant, pointy-eared elves that were themselves divine. But Norse mythology takes things a step further, suggesting that ancient humans interacting with these creatures might achieve divinity themselves. This was never more clear than in the stories of Freyr, who may have begun life as the human champion Vulander. And one story about Freyr's battle against the giants of Jotunheim reveals much about his connection to the world of the elves. The gods of Asgard maintained an ongoing war with the treacherous giants of Jotunheim. During one battle, Freyr was struck down by a giant and out popped his tooth. A fairy came along and collected the tooth. After the battle was won by the gods, Odin declared that there should be payment for Freyr's lost tooth. To compensate for the loss, Freyr was made Lord of the Elves and God of Alfheim. Ancient Northern Europeans would pay their children a fee for their lost teeth, just as the gods paid Freyr for his— Parents throughout the world continue to do so to this day. If the stories about Freyr are to be believed, then that would suggest Alfheim and the elves were accessible to humans. It was a realm they could visit, even stay in. But how did one get there? Where did Alfheim lie in relation to the earth itself? One possible clue can be found in the Celtic fable about the land of eternal youth, which paints an interesting picture of this interdimensional landscape. Long ago, in the green hills of Ireland, there lived a warrior prince named Oisin. Oisin was the son of the strong and fearless King Finn McCool. Both were revered throughout the land. One day, while relaxing on the beach, 
Oshin was mesmerized by the sight of a woman approaching him on horseback. She was the most beautiful person he had ever seen. She wore a flowing blue gown and had golden hair that swept down her back. Her name was Niev. She told Oshin that she had journeyed to Ireland to see for herself if the rumors of the noble and handsome warrior prince were true. As soon as Oshin's gaze fell upon the radiant and immortal Niamh, he instantly fell in love with her. And so, when she asked him if he would accompany her back to her home on the far side of the sea, Oshin said yes. Oshin hopped on the back of Niamh's horse and off they rode. The journey took them days, maybe even weeks, but they finally arrived at Tirnanog, the land of eternal youth. The island was overflowing with abundance. It was a paradise that existed outside of time and space. And for a while, Oshin and Niev lived there, happy together. But it wasn't long before Oshin began to miss his father and his homeland of Ireland. Sensing his heartache, Niev gave Oshin her magical horse and told him he could visit his home on one condition— do not get off this horse, and do not let your feet touch the ground, or else you will never be able to return to me again. Oshin rode Niamh's magical horse all the way back across the Silver Seas, finally reaching the verdant hillsides of his country. But as he looked around, a hollowness formed in the pit of his stomach. Something was terribly wrong. The town was unrecognizable. The castle he had lived in was weathered and covered in ivy. His friends and family were nowhere to be found. It seemed that though only a few years had passed in the land of eternal youth, hundreds had passed in Ireland. Heartbroken, Oshin turned his horse back toward Tirnanog. As he traveled along, he came across a group of men who were having a hard time moving a large boulder. Being the kind hero he was, Oshin decided to stop and help them. He leaned down from his horse and swiftly moved the heavy boulder with one hand. But then his saddle strap snapped and Oshin fell. The second his body touched Irish soil, Oshin aged 300 years. Before he died, Oshin told the men the incredible story of Niamh and the land of eternal youth. Centuries later, and the legend of Tir Nanog lives on in Irish fables today. Perhaps it was no legend, and our knowledge of elves comes from the men who watched Oshin die. Belief in the Irish elves, the Tuatha Dé Danann, persisted for centuries. Many believe there is a connection between the Celtic Tuatha Dé Danann and the elfin demigods from Norse mythology. The Nordic elfin race from the primordial world of Alfheim do share a few distinct similarities with the beings from the fabled land of eternal youth. Much like Niamh, the elves were said to be more beautiful than the sun, with slender figures, pale skin, and luminous auras. And the respective worlds share similar divine characteristics. Some legends say Oshin was the product of Finn McCool's affair with a shape-shifting goddess from another world. She came to him in the form of a doe. 
Perhaps this goddess was actually an elf from Alfheim, making Oshin part elf himself. Across both cultures, elves were considered immortal and were often worshipped as deities. If sick or in deteriorating health, pagan societies would make offerings to the elves, praying that they might show mercy and use their magical powers to cure their illnesses. Other rituals were performed, asking the elves for help with the harvest. Elves were considered complex beings, believed to be capable of both moral and immoral behaviors. They were revered for this complexity, for if wronged, elves had the power to curse them. Clearly, elves were an intrinsic part of pagan practices and rituals. However, the impending Christianization of Europe would greatly impact these beliefs and forever influence our understanding of elves and dwarves. By the 13th century, elves occupied a more polarizing place within mythology. Elves and dwarves were no longer revered as spirits from invisible realms, and they were no longer worshipped. Icelandic historian, poet, and politician Snorri Sturluson was instrumental in reshaping the public's perception of these magical creatures. His interpretation of elves and dwarves was rooted in the dualism of Christianity. With Christianity came the concepts of good versus evil and heaven and hell. Instead of having one race of beings called elves, Snorri Sturluson essentially split the same species in two, creating light elves and dark elves. In his writings, Sturluson makes references to these two separate types of elves. In an excerpt from his work of poems called The Prose Edda, he states, Light elves are fairer than the sun to look at, but dark elves are blacker than pitch. Dark elves were viewed as negative entities, evil by nature. Somewhere along the way, they became associated with the male and female demons of the night, called incubi or succubi, terms derived from the Latin meaning to lie beneath. In contrast, Sturluson's light elves were thought of as benevolent beings who offered protection and healing to humans. Like the original elves in Norse mythology, Light elves resided either on the earth or in the heavenly realm outside of the human world called Alfheim. This is the version of elves adapted by Anglo-Saxon and Old Germanic scholar-turned-author J.R.R. Tolkien for his epic saga, The Lord of the Rings. Tolkien integrated ancient folklore into his writing, imagining what light elves might have actually been like. Similarly, the ghoulish orcs from Tolkien's works could be seen as a version of the Dark Elves. However, back in the 13th century, Snorri Sturluson described yet another third race of elves. They were called Black Elves, a race entirely different from the Light and Dark Elves. They dwelled in the center of the earth. Many historians today note the distinct similarities between Snorri's race of black elves and another legendary race from ancient mythologies, the dwarves, which leads us to believe they may be one and the same. Ancient Norse mythologies suggest that, much like the elves of Alfheim, dwarves have always existed alongside our world, inhabiting the realm of Nidawalyr, this was a world that resided deep within ours, 
down in the depths of the earth. When the giant Umir was slain by Odin and his brothers, the gods made the earth from the dead frost giant's flesh. As they did so, they couldn't have known that another race of beings was already taking form in Umir's decomposing corpse. The gods decreed these creatures should have a home within the soils of the earth, and they called this world Nidawalir, or Svartalheim, the realm of the dwarves. Odin then reached his mighty hand down deep into the earth and grabbed a hold of four strong dwarves. He threw them across the earth in all four directions and ordered them to hold up the sky. The four chosen dwarves stood at the four cardinal points and used their colossal strength to hold up Ymir's skull high above the earth, creating the atmosphere. These four dwarves were known as Austri, Vestri, Nordri, and Sudri, east, west, north, and south. It's clear that the dwarves always occupy a place of servitude within the Norse pantheon. Despite this, the gods still gave them human understanding. They used this gift to develop an unusual talent. The ancient dwarves of Norse mythology were known for their incredible blacksmithing skills, possessing supernatural abilities to craft items that had magical properties. Dwarves are credited with creating the most powerful items in Norse mythology, including Thor's legendary hammer. The story of how that weapon came to be might provide additional clues as to the reality of these mysterious underground people. Next, we'll cover more ancient accounts of dwarves and explore a few modern-day accounts of encounters with elves and dwarves. Now, back to the story. We've examined the historical and mythological significance of elves, but what of dwarves, their subterranean counterparts? A famous story from Norse mythology highlights just how important these creatures were to the ancient Germanic peoples. It is the story of how Thor's hammer was made with a short handle. Long ago in Asgard, Loki the trickster god was in an especially mischievous mood. He cut off the long, golden hair of Sif, Thor's wife. Outraged, Thor seized Loki. He was prepared to punish the trickster god by breaking every bone in his body. Loki pleaded with the god of thunder to allow him to venture into the realm of the dwarves deep below Midgard to see if they could forage a new head of hair for Sif. Thor let Loki go, and down the trickster went into the depths of the earth, searching for dwarves. He found the sons of the well-known dwarf, Ivaldi, and sought their help in making items for the gods. The dwarves accepted the challenge and made hair of gold that would grow like normal hair once placed on Sif's head. In addition to the hair, the dwarves also fashioned the spear known as Gunir, which would never miss its mark, and the magical ship called Skidbladnir, which would always have favorable winds and could sail on either air or water. Impressed by the craftsmanship of the dwarves, Loki declared the sons of Ivaldi the most clever smiths he'd known. But two other dwarf brothers standing nearby overheard the trickster god's declaration and insisted they could make three items that surpassed the ones made by Ivaldi's sons. 
Loki, always in the mood for a competition, agreed to let the brothers Bruck and Atri try to impress him with their craftsmanship. If they could not make three additional items more spectacular than the ones made by Ivaldi's sons, then they would lose their heads. But if they succeeded, Loki would lose his. The two dwarf brothers set to work immediately, splitting up the tasks between the two of them. While Brock worked the bellows, Atri worked the forge. In a wicked attempt to distract them from their work, Loki transformed himself into an annoying fly. Loki the fly landed on Brock as he pumped the bellows. The fly stung Brock, trying to force him to give up on his work, but the dwarf stayed focused. Despite Loki's disturbances, the dwarves succeeded in creating two immensely magical items for the gods. But as Atri laid the last slab of iron into the furnace, Loki stung Brook above the eye, causing a surge of blood to stream down into the dwarf's eye, temporarily blinding him. Brook had to stop pumping the bellows in order to wipe away the blood, and so the damage was done. The magical hammer came out of the furnace with a short handle. With no other choice but to accept the flaw, the brothers wrapped their creations up in a blanket and set off with Loki to Asgard. The gods were already seated on their thrones when the dwarves arrived. The enchanted golden hair was gifted to Sif, the magical ship that could fly in the air and could be folded up into one's pocket was gifted to Freyr, and the deadly spear that never missed its mark was gifted to Odin. Next, the gods received the gifts from Brock and Atri. First, the brothers amazed Freyr with a golden boar that could run faster than any horse. Wherever the golden boar ran, it would light up the darkest night. Then, they marveled Odin with a golden ring that upon every ninth night would produce eight equally heavy gold rings. Lastly, the dwarf brothers unveiled the magical hammer they made for Thor, the god of thunder. They told Thor he may strike anything he pleased, and no matter what, the hammer would be unscathed. However far Thor threw it, the dwarves assured him the hammer would always return. The gods were utterly impressed, short-handled notwithstanding. Upon seeing these last three gifts, the gods decided that the wager had been won by the brothers, and as such, Loki owed them his head. However, Loki was quick and slipped away from the dwarf's grasp. The brothers asked for Thor's help, and so the god of thunder seized the trickster and handed him over to the dwarves. Loki cleverly told the dwarves that they could have his head, but not his neck. He figured that they would have to leave him be, as there was no way to remove his head without also damaging his neck. Alas, the brothers satisfied themselves by sewing Loki's lips together, so he could never talk his way out of trouble again. Though the legend never tells us exactly how Loki was able to speak again, it seems that he found his way out of this particular dilemma. Other legends speak of him harassing the gods until the end of time. Through this story, we learn that the ancient Germanic peoples believed the dwarves were responsible for just about every significant object possessed by the gods. 
In this sense, they were just as divine as the gods themselves, for what were these deities without their tools and weapons? If nothing else, we can see how ancient storytellers were trying to convey the idea that any ruler is nothing without their servants. Just like Ptah and the Kanumu of ancient Egypt, one race held up the other. The dwarves may not have been as glamorous as the elves, but they were just as significant. It's clear that stories of elves and dwarves have often impacted humanity's understanding of the universe. Although this impact is very real, the material existence of these creatures remains in question. But there is a growing population of people who keep the belief in elves and dwarves alive. In a survey conducted in 1998, 54.4% of Icelanders said they believe in the existence of elves. These elves are called the Huldefolk, and they live in the mountains, hills, and lava rocks of Iceland. Belief in these creatures is so strong that road development projects have been canceled out of a superstitious reverence for the elves inhabiting the region. Clairvoyant seers can sense the energy of a rock formation or elf garden and determine whether or not elves live there. Many Icelanders are familiar with this kind of energy work and honor the results. Another interesting encounter with elves took place in South Africa in 1986. One day, a group of hikers was climbing through the forests near the mangrove swamps nature reserve. By dusk, they came across an open space with marvelous rock formations. Sunlight cascaded across the landscape as the hikers took in a truly astonishing sight. According to an interview given by one of the hikers, sitting on the illuminated rock formations were about 20 to 30 little people interacting with each other, unaware that there were humans nearby. Within seconds, the hikers ran away back to their car. They were in a state of shock and disbelief about what they saw back in the clearing. Regardless, they went back the next day to try and catch another glimpse of the elves. But by the time they arrived, the elves were gone. These kinds of modern-day sightings are something of a phenomenon. Author Simon Young conducted an online survey asking people to write in with their experiences. The response was staggering. He received stories of over 500 elf and fairy encounters, accounts said to have taken place between 2014 and 2017. With so many sightings, could it be that these creatures are more than legend? And how can one species, mythological or not, have so many physical variations? The answers to these questions could lie with one of the most popular modern incarnations of the elf, Christmas elves. The contemporary representation of Santa's helpers, the small childlike beings with long hats and costumes, was popularized in the late 19th century by a magazine called Godey's Ladies Book. Godey's Ladies Book was an American women's magazine that ran from the 1830s to the late 1870s. In 1873, the front cover of the magazine's Christmas issue published an illustration showing Santa surrounded by a new type of elf. But it wasn't until Walt Disney's Silly Symphony episode on Santa's workshop was released in 1932 that the image of the little elf in costume finally stuck. 
To this day, the legend of Santa's tiny, cheerful helpers is an iconic part of American folklore. Just as modern-day storytellers created Christmas elves to appeal to a certain audience, ancient storytellers may have adapted the idea of elves and dwarves to suit their own needs. Modern elves have a variety of interpretations because, over the years, they've been imagined in different ways with different motives in stories stretching back millennia. From radiant, slender beauties to demonic creatures dwelling within the earth, existing in parallel realities or in heavenly realms, elves and dwarves are quite possibly history's most mysterious shapeshifters. The reality is... We don't know if elves and dwarves are real or if they only live in the myths and legends told and retold to this day. But the idea of elves and dwarves has generated some of humanity's most creative legends and works of literature. Reborn time and time again from the Tree of Life, elves and dwarves have been reimagined throughout the centuries. Will we ever be able to discern fact from fiction to find out for certain if these beings truly exist. Next week, we'll dive deeper into our modern fictional portrayals of elves and dwarves to see how our perception of the creatures has changed over time. We'll also look at how legends of elves and dwarves may have evolved from misidentifications of little people in ancient times. But then we'll put all of that aside and ask, could elves and dwarves real? And if so, where are they? Thanks for listening to Unexplained Mysteries. For more information on the elves and dwarves, amongst the many sources we used, we found The Nine Realms of Norse Mythology by Joshua Mars extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Unexplained Mysteries for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. See you next Thursday. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Travis Clark, and Joel Stein. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Avery Rhoda, with writing assistance by Drew Cole, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. (laughs) 